0: are listening to the Slash and Cast Podcast Network. Enjoy the show.
1: <laughs> Alright folks, Justin here with a quick word before we dive in. In this episode, Daniel and myself chat with veteran voice actor Doug Stone about comedy, impressions, mask, Metal Gear, voice in Psycho Mantis, his cat shelter, and much more. Also, it's been brought to my attention that there was a general dip in the audio quality of the episodes that have been released the last few months, and I want to apologize and let everyone know those are being addressed. Hopefully you realized a improvement in quality. In our previous episode with Simon Templeman and Michael Bell, we're working on a different recording method and feedback on that one has been positive that being said some of these episodes have been recorded in the older method and unfortunately there's not much I can do to doctor the quality but just know going forward things are going to be a lot better that's enough talking for me so without further ado here you go
2: and goobles this is your comrade the crypt keeper here reporting dead from the sanctuary of
0: the strange tonight's macabre myth is a fright-filled feature one overflowing with monsters madness and magic
1: Take us back in time to when you were a youngster. What sort of things were you into? Were you reading comics, building forts? What's the scoop there?
2: Oh, yeah, all, all of the above. I was, a typical, I was born in Canada and the building forts. When I was about 11, my parents moved to a house that I really liked because behind us was woods. It was just woods. It was uh, acres and acres of land owned by some people who had a cemetery that was way far away and they bought all the land around it. So me and my buddies would hop the fence in my backyard, go out there. Yeah, we dug forts, underground forts and built forts and had my first cigarette there, you know, like, oh man, don't tell my parents, hide the cigarette. And, you know, sat there with my buddy and discussed life and music and everything else, all that stuff. And then Being Canadian, also hockey would be included. Fall hockey and all winter long, we we lived on a street that wasn't a main street, so my street was the one where we the kids would all get there. You get a tennis ball and set up nets or fake nets, and you know that's how you'd spend your Saturday afternoon playing hockey with your buddies and stuff. Yeah, forts and and of course, yeah, comic books. My era, that's you know the Donald Duck and the Mickey, all the Disney stuff Mm -hmm. and Popeye and and all. all What was your favorite? I don't know if I had a it different, you know, it would change year to year. Yeah, I understand. Completely. I'm the kind of kid who would fixate on things. Like mm-hmm. when I got into really reading books and I, I discovered Sherlock Holmes books. Oh yeah. I read every Sherlock Holmes book. I, I'd read one, go to the library, get the next, get until I'd read every one I could find. Then I found James Bond books, mm. the James Bond stuff. I think maybe one film was up, but I found the book. I read every James Bond book. So I would find one thing and then just go through all of it till it was done. Then find the next thing to, to get fixated on so comics are probably the same where i probably read tons of superman then went no green lantern yeah Lantern. <laughs> yes 60 of those you know wonder woman oh yeah just one's enough you know i could just at <laughs> the picture because i'm a pubescent boy it was like that and listen to a lot of cartoons on tv and all the standard stuff and and the first time i saw a cartoon where i got old enough to say, I'm going to look at the credits at the end and saw Warner Brothers cartoon. And it's, I think they expressed it as vocal characterizations by Mel Blank. And I went, wait a minute. Every voice I heard. One guy. That was one guy. That was this guy named who's Mel Blank. So although I had no aspirations to be in voiceover, I was very aware of who Mel Blank was when I was young, because that stuck with me that one guy was doing all those voices really stuck with me a lot. and it wasn't until I got older and could learned a little bit about him that he'd been a musician and you know a little bit about his history. Uh, not online because that didn't exist at the time, but, you know, in the library and other other sources. It was rather typical in that the only showbiz sort of connection, well, two maybe, my dad was a radio announcer. That didn't scare me. The idea of somebody being in the entertainment business was what I lived with, and he did PR for the, this very large station. So he met a lot of celebrities in, in who would come up from Hollywood to Toronto. And also I had a great uh, interest in acting. Uh, I was writing funny stories in school and entertaining kids, and I learned, even though I was, just, I was this little kid who wasn't the best in sports, much as I liked it, I could make people laugh. And that's a real a superpower. Yeah. When you're in grade one or two, the bullies won't necessarily pick on you so much. Like, oh, no, no, that's a kid who makes us laugh. He's okay. Uh, and uh, and girls looked at you, and, and you could make girls laugh in grade three or four. Man, that's, that's a superpower. That sort of led into acting in school plays. And then I went to a camp that uh, specialized in the arts because my parents saw I had that interest and, and I went from supporting little roles to lead roles in some of these plays and began to think, hey man, maybe that's the life for me, acting. So that was always there. But of course voiceover was really kind of non-existent except in Hollywood for a kid growing up in, in Toronto, Canada. How'd that happen? The voiceover was was, yeah. was half stance. It was luck really. I had I'd left school at 16 and I had a very adventurous life. I, I was a long haired hippie making sandcast candles. I hitchhiked across the US and Canada, went to India and meditated. All the stuff that 60s kids did, I did them all. There's lots of adventures. And then when I got, uh, and I was still doing theater once in a while, but again, no voiceover. I was doing a straight job. Uh, I had gotten married and adopted a child. So I felt like I needed a, a day gig to bring in money to, for family and everything. And at the day gig uh, in my twenties, they said, uh, we need somebody to do scratch tracks. In other words, rough tracks that won't be aired, but they're, they're for the audience who may not understand it. Before you get your big celebrity in to do a commercial, you'll get some other guy to come in and read the commercial four or five times to make sure it times out right. And for them to listen to and say, let's change this word, change that. So when the celebrity comes in, they don't mess around. Everything's all in place. So they said, do you want to do that? You yeah, know, we'll give you 50 bucks. Oh, wow. Well, okay. actually, I, I auditioned for it, as did a bunch of the people. They thought that would be fun, and I got the gig. And after a while, the guy at this, uh, this was a very large company, and they had a studio in it, and he started to bring me in to do a lot of stuff. And I had acting experience, and I had a good sense of timing. Uh, I worked in the computer industry at that point. I had gotten into that. So I had uh, an interior clock, so I could bring it in at 30 seconds. And You know, if it's 28 and you needed it at 30, I could lengthen it. I could shorten it with the internal clock. Anyway, um, eventually he started to get me more money and I was doing theater. And I said to him, do you think I could actually make money doing commercials on the outside world? And he said, yeah, I think you're good enough. And I thought, wow, I don't care if I go hungry, if I can just pay the rent, maybe I could fund my theater career and potentially an on-camera career in Toronto by doing some voiceover work on the side and get paid for it because you're not going to get paid much for theater, even if you go equity. So I bravely quit my job made a demo tape, quit my, I I think I got a client first, sending this very amateur demo tape out, got a client, and I was uh, doing all the commercials for a mall. They had the contract. So every store that had commercials, I'd be Santa Claus at Christmas, I'd be this, I'd be that. For about a year and a half, I was getting, schooled in front of a microphone while I got paid, you know, and I was learning, yeah. how, you know, where to go and how do you place, where do you go off access to do this? And, you know, how do you yell, but not get too much wind or too much, you know, all the stuff that that's part of the technical aspect. I was kind of getting paid to do still as a sideline. So I'm in Toronto, I'm doing more and more uh, theater. I have my own theater group, my own uh, improv comedy group, and we're doing dinner theater. I'm starting to get, TV roles made for, in those days it was called made for video, straight to video TV roles. And a cinematographer on uh, this film I did said, who's your agent? I didn't have a good agent. I was still new in the business relatively, two years or so in. And he said, go to so-and-so agency, tell him I sent you, you're a good actor. You, you should be with a better agent. On his word, they signed to me, bless his heart, and I did get to thank him about two years later to take them out for dinner. They signed me, and coincidentally, a French company, Canadian company, and American company were putting together a cartoon series called MASK, Mobile Armored Strike Command. In in 1984, they were putting this together, and they said, well, we want to do it under Canadian union rules. We want Canadian actors. They auditioned Canadian actors in L.A., but couldn't find their lead and about three or four of the other roles they just couldn't get. They said, let's go to Canada. And they only went to about two agencies up there. And this one that I just signed with was one of them. So wow. I got to audition for that. They liked me and then, uh, but they weren't sure they hadn't met me. They did, you know, my background, I didn't have a lot of VO work. So they auditioned me over and over and over again, long distance before they gave me the role. I flew down to LA, did the series. Those two or three roles expanded into eight roles. It became 75 episodes. And the people here encouraged me to stay. The uh, company that was doing it, plus the studio at that time called B&B Studio, the uh, owner who's passed now, uh, said, yeah, you're good enough to work in L.A. And I thought I never had dreamt that or that wasn't the aspiration. I just didn't think that was possible. But I'll take that shot. So I used the money I made from the cartoon series to fund myself to, uh, to start a career down here. And fortunately, it's worked out.
3: Yeah, I mean you you jumped over quite a few because I mean dude you're at Back of the Forest. Yeah, you are already just royalty as far as my little brother's concerned. He grew up watching uh-huh. that movie. But yeah, you you jumped in some mass. So is that where you consider like your first pivotal, like I made it?
2: Oh, I had a good it was I think we all did. I mean we were all thrilled with uh, getting on a cartoon series and uh, and the fact that that uh, we got picked up and you know I think we did 65 then we're off for a bit and came back and did 10. So it was great windfall for all of us and really exciting to learn as we went and to bring out skills that I had that I hadn't had a chance to really, I've always done accents for fun. To me, that's like music. I can't sing. I can't play an instrument as much as I try. Some people can just pick up a guitar and hear a song and play it. But if I hear your accent, we need a couple of minutes, I can do it probably back to you. Pretty good, you know, in practice, I'm not bad at all. like. Right? I can do it. This gave me a chance to, to, to use all those skills and hone them. I thought I'd made it as far as to, to a certain level, but I knew I hadn't made it in LA. I hadn't made it in the big picture. I wasn't regularly working. I didn't have an agent yet, et cetera, et cetera. But it, it was a huge step, a huge step. It got me here. It got me some recognition for some industry people who were encouraging me. And that gave me confidence because I, I would have been very nervous just coming down here on my own. Right. The right. fact that they said, "Hey, yeah, you're good enough to work here. You should, you know, look for an agent." Da Yeah, we'll hire you again, and you know, et cetera, et cetera. It was a big. It was a very big deal in my life. Yeah. I so I mean, you were probably now was it all recording these shows? Because I mean, I, I grew up. I
3: was born in 1980, so I was your target demographic.
0: That, yeah.
3: You know, when they the reason they were so strict doing these things and like the product marketing and stuff is because you were supposed to target me. So yeah, I have a vested emotional interest in these things.
2: <laughs> we, we had but, your picture up uh, in front of I, the microphone.
3: I bet yeah. you did. Thank you. Newborn yeah. to four years old. I, I yeah. I had the uh, I had a couple of the mass toys <laughs> and stuff. That just were you recording with people or was it just like you would go into an isolation booth, do your lines, and then you know f off. You know, wait until no, the next actor comes uh, in. It, it was all
2: the cast. Usually, it, it differs depending on what you're doing. When you're doing original animation as we were you're usually pandemic aside Mm -hmm. usually you're in the room with the other actors and it's done like a radio play yeah it's a lot more fun when you can play off the other actors and just joke around and have fun on breaks and get to know the other actors and stuff it's a lot of fun it doesn't happen for uh uh, anime work and dubbing then you go in and you're in an iso booth generally for original animation my experiences with it over the years uh, they bring in the whole cast you do a full rehearsal of the script and there might be a few tweaks and rewrites, particularly if if it's a new series, then the writers might be there on the first few episodes to tweak things, get the characters strengthened up. You know, they'll be listening Mm -hmm. to what you're doing with the characters and that may give them a little ideas of, you know, since he does this, let's start to do this with that character, you know. So everybody's learning from each other and uh, you're learning and playing off, just like you would in a play on stage, you're learning uh, how the other characters are playing their roles. And that might change how you're going to play off them. So I love it. It's my favorite way of recording, but it's time consuming. (laughs) It's not like going in for an hour and you can do your whole script for uh, for an anime. You might even do it in half an hour. It may take a few hours. But but in this case, uh, you may be there for, you may rehearse for two hours and then record the show for two hours.
1: So, Doug, when you were on stage, what was your favorite role to play? Did you have any?
2: Well, I really liked improv comedy. I love doing drama. And on stage, with in the your face on stage isn't as important as it is on camera. I learned so I started off doing drama primarily on stage. Then I discovered improvisational comedy, and it turned out I had a bent for it. And I ended up studying at Second City in Toronto, and as I say, forming my own group. Uh, I worked. Do you know who the kids in the hall are? Yeah. Oh yeah. yeah. You know, the kids were around the same time as me. We were all starting out together. They were 10 years younger than me, but we were all starting something called theater sports in Toronto at the same time. Huh. So I knew, knew all those guys. Gotcha. In fact, Scott was in one of my groups for a short period of time before he joined the kids, Scott Thompson. Wow. Uh, so it was around that era. So that was a lot of fun. But when I went to do on camera, this face, if you can see it, does not read funny it reads mean it reads serious so uh, most of the roles I got on camera I, I'm a small guy but I'd be the small guy with a gun and people go Gee, just don't screw it like a Joe Pesci You know, I'd, don't, don't fucking mess with that guy because he'll rip your face off I do a few voice a, a few impressions but not, not too many but Pesci I do I've actually doubled for his voice in a film he did uh, a lot of film actors I also have done a lot of work in LA doing looping Uh, providing voices for tv shows and films and once in a while you do double uh you voice match some of the actors who either hate going in to redo their lines i know kitty or uh they're on other films and just can't do it they're they're on location and it turns out a helicopter went by when they said a certain line and they have to redo it so voice actors will come in and and voice match them film i did with pesci was was one of his failures i forget what it was called he was on a it was a comedy where he was fishing Going somebody, fishing
1: with Danny Glover.
2: With Danny Glover and my buddy uh, <laughs> doubled for Danny Glover. I'd forgotten I'd done it, and then my buddy reminded me uh, about it, and I'd completely forgotten. They were auditioning for somebody to do more of the Pesci stuff, but I was on a different looping job, and and they said we want you to audition. I couldn't couldn't get there because I had another union job, because uh, that would have led to two or three more Pesci films, maybe more successful. I've done him. I doubled, not really doubling, but I did a cartoon series for a Lego. Uh, cartoon series where they wanted the mayor to sound like Danny DeVito uh, because he was kind of a con man. He was bigger.
0: Danny DeVito. So I was the mayor. (laughs) And my (laughs) daughter was very, very important to me. (laughs) So I cheat just a little bit to make her succeed.
1: (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> so you mentioned you had a good internal clock because you worked with computers did that Did that internal clock help you a lot when you were uh, dubbing for anime because i've heard a lot of oh, voice actors say that the timing is the main thing with that
2: absolutely it, it led me to direct uh, though it's not on my imdb and not my not all my credits are on the imdb which is usually where people look and i've never updated but i directed a lot and i also did a lot of wrote a lot of adaptations which were to timing. When I first started in the business, dubbing became a mainstay as I got established. Uh, so yeah, that internal clock is re- and it's really important. Um, because even at my slightly advanced age, I'll I'll be dubbing with somebody from home during the pandemic. A director I've never worked with maybe a you know they're 25 or something and they say, we're giving you this guy Doug Stone and they go, oh an older guy. Okay. And I go to do the line and they say, well, it's just, you know, it's just a hair too long or and I and I nail it and they go, oh, oh, you got it. Yeah, well, I put a little hitch here, and I put a – they didn't mark it, but there's a pause there. and It's kind of fun for me because they go, oh, you're good at this. Yeah, I hope so. (laughs) At this point, I better be. But the clock, <laughs> thank goodness, I'm getting old and the body's aging, but the clock is still working, the internal clock. So it, it's a big help in dupping. yeah.
3: Your resume, with all the anime on there, apparently it has served you well over the uh, the decades of some of your credits list. So yeah, I bet that, yeah. that right there is probably just one of, if not the best asset you bring.
2: Well, you got to, it's a, it's a combination of factors. When we first started dubbing, there was a lot of really good actors, really good voice actors who could change their voices and had a great range or whatever. And they wouldn't dub because the timing thing drove them crazy. And at that time when we started, we didn't have pro tools. We didn't have a machine that would go beep, beep, beep. And then you start and you couldn't uh, just redo it and redo it. Uh, it was on, uh, uh, or they couldn't move it rather the way they can move. They might say, oh, the timing is great, but it started that much too late. We'll just shift it over. We were working on tape. So you just had to look at the time codes to the 30th of a second and figure out when to start where you hit just when the mouth opened. So a lot of really good voice actors. Now the field's got everybody in it. Every actor Mm. wants to be an anime, but in the eighties, late eighties, mid eighties, a lot of people didn't want to do it because, that timing aspect drove them crazy.
3: Yeah, you're right. And you said it, you said it. I mean, putting it on the tape. So yeah, children out there listening to this little kiddies used to back in the old days, after we carved it into stone, they came out yeah. with tape, and we were able to put it to tape. But still, yeah, one shot, and that's it. Until they came out where you could actually do an overdub if you were lucky to have that equipment.
2: Yeah. I can remember taking breaks and uh, with, with the engineer where he had to go change the reels. You might walk down there with him and help him change the reels where you were chatting, and then come back, and the actors got to have a nice coffee break or whatever.
3: Yeah. You know, if you smoke a cigarette, and then, of course, voice actors smoking a cigarette, then they go back, and all of a sudden their voice is deeper. Yeah, there is cloud. It's like, no, 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 wait. Oh, yeah. (laughs) I was I
2: was I have to admit, I was a smoker when I started. I quit early and I quit in 1980 early night. January 4th, 1989 is the last time I've even touched a cigarette. Your physical stance. I I like to stand when I work. Mm -hmm. I find it opens my instrument more. Some actors like to sit. But if you taped me doing a character sitting yesterday and then today you asked me to stand. It's going to sound a little it's, different. Right. It's going to be different. Yeah. because My chest is going to open in a different way. And even right. if i am attempted to use the same timber and the same everything, it, it may alter slightly. So yeah. Yeah. Everything can, can change. I mean, they play you back. Uh, and sometimes you forget too. before I start a continuing character, I always ask them, give me a playback. Don't trust my memory. Right. Even if you're saying, oh, Doug, you were using your regular voice. I wanna hear what my regular voice sounded like that day. I might listen to it and go, oh, it's my regular voice, but actually I I detect a little bit more husk than I usually have. So I must've had something going on. So let me give you that voice with just a little bit more husk than I would usually have in it because I apparently had it that day when I was first recording. So many things could have an effect. The mask cartoon friends, people ask me, well, how did you do eight characters talking to each other? Each one stood differently. I was standing at the mic, each one had a different physical stance. To help me change not just my placement in my mouth loudness and everything else, but uh, my chest cavity and my body. Uh, all those things have an effect on how that voice is going to come out. And you can differ it, even if there are two characters placed in kind of a similar place, the more you can change your body to uh, affect that, the the more differentiation you
3: can get. In eight characters, holy crap.
2: Yeah, yeah, I did eight. Uh, so, I think the most I've ever done it was a one-time project was 10, but they were, um, it was some special and not long after I got here, paid really well. I thought everything's going to be roses. Of course, it was like the only <laughs> time I got back in, but they just handed me thousands of dollars to do this thing. Um, but they, they were really wild characters. I mean, you know, they weren't human necessarily. So you could really go all over the place for that. But eight human characters is challenging, yeah. yeah. We've got to sound real. They're not from outer space, sir.
1: So, when you're doing those eight characters at once, are you recording the all the voice lines for maybe one character, and then switching to another, or is it dialogue style where you're just constantly shifting and going back from one to the other?
2: You can do either way you like. A, I like the challenge of going one to the other, as long as they don't they understand there's going to be a beat or two more than if I'm doing two lines in a row. I'm just going to give them a little beat, but I need to change a little bit. But I like the challenge, and it's the, and the engineers love it. Uh, the mixers love it because they go, "Wow, that's great!" They don't have to pull,
3: right? <laughs> we yeah. don't have to cut the audio or splice yeah. or anything. <laughs> I just had to
2: do that. I, I, uh, we'll get to it at some point, I guess. But I, I do um, charitable work for, for this uh, charity, Kitty Bungalow, and uh, I just recorded with the wonderful voice actress Carrie Walgren. Was doing some recording for me for something for our next uh, charity event, and she sent me all her lines, and there I was on my Pro Tools putting them in with my lines, doing like and cutting. You know, I'm going, man. I don't want to be an engineer for a living. This is <laughs> tough. <laughs> you know, trying to put everything snapped together with no sound up make it sound conversational. There's only that much space between the. Lines. Oh wow, that's why I don't do. All, I did audio books for a little while, and they said, "Don't bother editing." And then, the, you know, you send them the stuff. You know, and you may start a sentence three times because you stumbled. They went, "Oh, actually, that's driving us crazy. Could you just, you know, give it a pr- <laughs> uh, an edit to just what the keepers are?" We're not saying edit everything where it's just the right space, but just, you know, get rid of the keepers. Don't worry about, oh, man, that's taken me as long as it is to, no, forget it. So how you like yeah. the audiobook stuff? Put it this way. I, I enjoyed doing all the different characters. Do I have any audiobooks or listen to audiobooks? No. There you go. Take all that information and do with it as you will. That's a good, <laughs>
3: that's a good enough answer. I, I, I also
2: <laughs> don't own a television set, so take that. For Bravo.
3: Mm, Bravo. Hey, that's, that's the way to go.
2: Hippie days, man. Uh, I mean, I, after I left home, I couldn't afford a TV. I've been working since I was 16. I couldn't afford a TV set. So I went a lot of years without one. And then I got married my wife had, you know, TV set and went, Oh wow. So I'm watching this thing, canned laughter. It's I don't know, but we separate for a while. No TV set. We get back together. TV set. We get divorced. No TV set. Yeah. I like it better this way. So no TV set.
3: You hear that kids. And he's still alive you
2: (laughs) can't survive it's amazing you can survive without canned laughter it's it's incredible you kind of figure out yourself what's funny and isn't funny
3: speaking of canned laughter and the cybernetic elephant in the room how did you get into metal gear because this is one of my favorite Uh, franchises video games stories everyone's like ninja guide metal gear doom galaga i mean just name the list but it's always up there at the top how did you get into metal gear it's
2: not really a fascinating story it was just they another, never are but <laughs> yeah sorry just another audition it was just another audition that crossed my desk and i don't remember much much about it how i got the really or who gave it well oh, i've done a lot of
3: work man i and un- i the, get i mean i understand this 40 I'm years here.
2: in the 40 years in the business and voiceover since 85. So 37 years of voiceover. So I don't know, it was just one more audition. You know, you get, you get tons, or not as many anymore, but you get tons every week. So just an audition that yeah. came in. I do remember a little bit that the character description was interesting and in that they didn't say what country he was from, but they wanted this sort of a European da-da-da-da-da. And I thought, well, I'm, I want to do something that nobody else does, which is what you always want to do in an audition. For better, I think at least, for better or for worse, don't sound like everybody else. And they may say, oh, that's terrible or whatever. But if they like it, it's not going to be you against so-and-so, so-and-so. They're just going to go, ooh, he did something wild and out there. I like that. Mm -hmm. So I I think take those chances if you can get them uh, to get off the map. So I I made him partly German, partly Russian. I took a couple of accents and combined them into something that I thought, let me make him really unique where we don't know where he's from. Because as a character himself, from the writing that I saw, we don't really know Right so okay i'll do that and i got lucky where they went oh that's weird nobody else did that that's interesting so i got a call back to do it again uh did so uh got a little bit of direction on it and then got the gig and went in and that was one where um i did record alone the first one they didn't have a big budget you're gonna hear a little bit of whistle i'm missing a tooth i'm going in for a uh, implant so there's a little bit of whistle in my uh speech pattern. I notice it all the time because it drives me crazy, the sibilance. It was in a house where they had built actually a studio in a house. It's kind of funky. And the first uh, one that were recorded, actually the engineers and the director were in the same room as me in the screen, which is not usually what happens. Usually there's a separation of, of soundproof glass, but I do recall that. And we recorded in there. And I did a Psycho Mantis and a few minor characters. And then the next time, I guess the game really succeeded so the next time we went to a real studio and uh we were in a real booth and etc etc and again i recorded alone with the with the uh, director uh doing psycho i remember a bit about the session uh but not a great deal it was challenging and a lot of energy
3: I was going to ask, like, so you didn't have a TV, so were you familiar with video games at all? I mean, surely you played Donkey Kong or Galaga or something at some point. Right? I
2: played uh, the the games that, that you would play in a bar or a right. restaurant, you know, the the pinball the, machines. You, so Yeah, well, I loved pinball growing up, and to me, that was the natural progression. So I was playing, I can't remember what they're called, but I can remember playing all those, you know, ding, 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 ding. Yeah. Uh, not on computers. So yeah. if
3: the, so, that's what I'm getting there. The dialogue, the thing about the Psycho Mantis aspect is that really just blew people's minds. No other yeah. game had done this. The Metal Gear, yeah. there was a whole lot of things that that game did that had never been done before. And one of these is breaking the fourth wall. Yeah. And it's like, I was one of those kids playing. Like, my mind was blown because I had Castlevania on my memory card. Like, I was big. Of course, I'm a video gamer anyway. But, you know, as a kid, so when the metal gear come out solid was like 97 i think so yeah, yeah i had seven, seven
2: eight so there. i had
3: a couple of konami games on my memory card at the time that i'm playing it and sure enough whenever you're you are telling me to uh, i will read your mind I'm like <laughs> okay this will be fun yeah what kind of hokey bs is this like set the controller down like <laughs> okay i'm gonna set the controller down <laughs> <laughs> it's like, i'm controlling it with my mind and i was like oh my god and he's like you don't believe me let me see you like castlevania and it just, it's so funny how ignorant i was but but we all were it's just the th- the tricks that it pulled the simple stuff to not even know sure. it did did you have any idea back then it's like how crazy this was or what it might become or was it just like wow this is weird I'm getting paid though this is cool.
2: Uh, more the latter. I mean I knew uh, <laughs> I knew enough about the game world or about games and they told me, you know, we're gonna make the thing move and, and I went, oh wow, cool. Cause they, you know, so I had the information that that a lot of what I was going to be doing hadn't been done before and right, breaking right. the wall, et cetera. I had been voicing on games, I was voicing on games I can probably go grab some that were on disk. That you take and load into your computer and whatever. Oh, yeah. so I, I was there at the very beginning of some of the gaming stuff doing voice work. So I knew a little bit about that kind of stuff though at home, I had a $6 million a man pinball machine that I played that I bought for nice. myself, but I knew enough. So I knew, Oh, this is really cool, but you have no idea what's going to succeed, not succeed. Right. And I think a very foolish thing, I learned in the business is to ever attach yourself and think, oh, I hope this makes it big. I hope this is done," because you're going to get disappointed time and time again. The best thing is to go in, do the work, do your very best, marry yourself to the process. I want to come in and do the best job I can do. Oh, that felt good. Me and the director really had something good going. I feel like I really delivered a performance. Great. I go home and I feel good. Now I wipe the slate clean, I go into whatever I'm doing tomorrow. I don't track, did the game sell? How many people are watching that video? Is that anime work? I don't want to get involved in that kind of stuff and, and, and potentially get disappointed that something I liked didn't do well or whatever. Just uh, for me, it's about the work. So I did that job, thought this was a lot of fun. That was a really different thing. Cool, great. I heard a little bit of stuff at the time that, oh, that Metal Gear is becoming super popular. And I thought, oh, great, good. Gaming world likes it, but I really had no idea until I went to a convention.
3: I was fixing to ask, "Do you know now?"
2: <laughs> oh, I know now, because I got my butt kicked. I went to a <laughs> mask convention. You know, they had a banner up, mask, Doug Stone, da da da. And I'm sitting there, and I'm signing some mask stuff. And then some kids started to come up to me with uh controllers and other stuff, saying, "Would you sign this?" But sign it as Psycho mantis And I looked at the controller, and I forgot. I went, "Sure," but why are you give me a computer controller? And they went you don't know psycho <laughs> oh that's right he did yeah is that a big thing yeah yes. oh, yeah i got i got verbally spanked you don't know <laughs> so i went home and looked it up in the computer and went oh, top 10 villains on all, all these different lists online from you know this is 15 years later top 10 uh, video uh, video villains of all time psycho yeah. Psychomantis. psycho he's in the top 10 number four number five number six and that's when I realized, oh, man, I got to go back and re-educate myself on this uh, and what that was about. Because I had no idea it had culturally caught on. And did you know Psycho did commercials a few years ago?
1: No, I didn't know that. You can
2: find them on YouTube. That was another big wake-up call. I get an email. Somebody gets hold of my personal email address, says, uh, and I thought it was scammers. Uh-huh. And they say, we're with an uh, advertising company in Florida. And we're doing car commercials, and we'd like to get Psychomantis, your character, to do some. So I write back and say, "Yeah, well, that's pretty funny, Psychomantis doing car commercials." <laughs> yeah, well, it, clever. How did you get my email address? No, we're a real company. Here's our link, and I look, and they're a real company. And I think, well, they still—they don't get it. I say, you know, you have to have permission from the. They said uh, we've actually already done, and they named a few other iconic cartoons. They said we've already done those ones, and yes, we've been in touch. And we have permission It's just whether you want to or not. I went, oh, I'm sorry, I'm embarrassed. I just didn't think it was real. Like, how can you get a villain? Why would you want a villain associated with a car commercial? Well, they took the portion and I did it. You can find them on YouTube. If you look up Psychomantis car commercials, I think you can find it. And it's the portion where I say I can read your mind. I redo it. But I can read your mind. You want a Ford Escort with a so and so, so and so. Nice. <laughs> but you're dreaming of driving It's a da 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 da. I know because I can read your mind. Oh God. And they used that footage of me on the desk, etc., from Psychomantis. And I did about four or five car commercials. And I was so it was so cool, it paid so well that I tithed 10% of it of uh, my profits over to the uh, to the Kitty Bungalow Shelter uh, where I volunteer, just because it was this windfall and so much fun to do. Uh, it turned out they were fans at the agency. so they were real they were really easy to work with, really nice people and uh, and we knocked at each commercial really quickly. So yeah, there you go. That's, you never know what's gonna live on.
3: That's it because I mean this up to the Metal Gear five you were still being referenced in those games. There's actually a mantis like character actually this is Mantis that's in Metal Gear five. So I mean the just, younger one. Yeah, just so what you may think was just some goofy oddball, you know, stupid two pages of lines that you have to do in an isolation booth. You never know. Because yeah, yeah, not only did you impact me when I was 17 and to this day I was laughing with Justin before we got on. I actually played through the series again Mm -hmm. over the Thanksgiving break. And so I mean you never know because not only did it impact me, but you have affected my little brother. And my son, who has just turned 17, and, you know, he knows full well about Metal Gear and stuff, too, so, yeah, you gotta take that, it's just one of those, you know, I'm so glad that a lot of the voice actors we meet and stuff, some of them are pretty flippant with the characters, and that's fine, just, you know, people, people, like I said, never meet your heroes, but it's nice to see that some people take it and at least keep it separated and, you know, take, at least a little bit, a modicum of care with it.
2: <laughs> oh, you, once I find, if it's important to people, I, I mean, I'm being very glib with you and everything else, but the yeah. truth is when I meet people and they say, oh, I love this and love this. I used to, I didn't know how to react. And I sort of right. apologize and say, oh, well, I didn't do that good a job. There. And I do, and I thought, Doug, that's not honoring them. That's not, this. just shut your mouth and say, thank you. I'm glad it meant something to you. Thank you. Because that's what you're feeling, yeah. but it's hard to, Right. I had to learn, shut up and just acknowledge that this was something important to them and take that home with you and go, wow, is that cool? I got to do something that was meaningful to somebody. And it's why I've always, be- and I-, I believed it even before that started to happen, that you must honor the work. You must, I, I mean, I-, I I used to make furniture for a living. I worked in warehouses and then I won an award for being the best worker in the warehouse. Or whatever. Like whatever you do, my dad taught me this and Amongst the things that he taught me that I kind of shoved aside, two really good ones were treat the guy who cleans up at the factory as with the same respect as the president, because he's there working Mm -hmm. to support his family too. treat everybody with proper respect and always honor the job you're doing with your best effort so that at night you can go to sleep proud and say, well, I don't know what it was, but I did my best. So that's I have right. nothing to feel bad about. I I right. have a clear. But so that's how I approached the voiceover stuff. So there's been a lot of stuff I've done that just, I did it and it disappeared and went into the ether. But when I was in that booth, I did the best I could. I gave it every bit of energy I had that day to try to, to honor what the director asked for and whatever else so that I'd feel good about my work when it was done.
3: Sometimes, I mean, there's a barometer for like, People my age, it's a, there's a little a litmus test I give to people, like a playground test, it's, you know, where did did you ever end up in conversation in the playground? Like when I was in elementary school, Van Damme, Steven Seagal, or of course Arnold Schwarzenegger, Michael Dudikoff. If you were in that playground conversation ring, you were somebody. Now, of course, Metal Gear came a little later, but the same thing still applies. to The fact that you pop up in these nerd discussions and nerd conversations, mm-hmm. it's just it's but hearing you talk about you know the way because I can hear it in your voice, you you light up. You know, when people come and talk about that. We had the same thing with Robin Shu. He played Lu Kang in the Mortal Kombat movies. And it was just you could see tears in his eye. And then in our eyes, whatever, this Lu Kang, he had no idea how like he eventually he did, but for the longest time he had no idea just how freaking cool that he is or was even back then. It still is now. It's like this <laughs> shining beacon of positivity. But that's like just to make sure you understand <laughs> just well, how important you were. That let me show let me show the you the playground talk some days. So <laughs> you were very pivotal, even if it was a bad guy. A good guy is only as good as the bad guy makes it.
2: Right. So oh, yeah, good guys are fun. I'll tell you, back in Canada, when I was first starting voiceover, this was one of the early jobs I had was being the Barker. I don't know if it's shining. Yes, yeah, it, it, it looks good. It's a I, Called a record album, kids, and they were giving it out free at the circus. And I free. was the bar- the barker for ki- if you came to the circus and bought tickets for your family, you got one of these. Now I got paid, of course, to trivia trek uh, ages four to nine. When I did this, I got high. I mean, uh, on the idea of it. And I came home and told I, I think I was married at the time. I told my wife, I said, I'm going to be part of kids' magic. The kids' stuff that I grew up listening to and watching on TV, like Mel Blanc, that was magic because you weren't even thinking it's a voiceover. You're just thinking it's, you know, the car, Bugs Bunny's talking to me and he's funny and I'm laughing and this is great, man. And then like you say, you talk talk to your friends at the schoolyard and say, did you see Bugs Bunny? When <laughs> he said, it's your magic world of ch- childhood. And I got to be in that magic world. So from the very first time I got to do children's entertainment, that
0: I got so fun.
2: very excited about it. Children's entertainment is one of my most fun things. When I first got here and I wasn't working a lot in LA, I was just starting out, I was reading books at uh, public school after school program uh, for kids who didn't have a family to go home to, their parents were both working, maybe at school playing, they thought it would be good for literacy and uh, the Screen Actors Guild funded this or started this program. They'd get actors to come to schools and read to the kids and encourage them to read books. So I'm, I'm very much invested in that I, whole idea uh, I mean, you look at those kids and you're reading to them in their eyes, they're transported into whatever world you're creating. And it's to me, it's it's what when I'm at Kitty Bungalow at my shelter that I work with, I like feeding the baby kittens. I like bottle feeding baby kittens, man, They're <laughs> the palm of your hand and you're giving them life. So there's, there's, to me, there's magic and all of that, that, that really makes life worthwhile when you can be part of that kind of magic. So uh, voiceover work, sometimes I'm doing a commercial for a healthcare company and whatever. So it, it ain't magic, but I'm still going to give it everything I can. If I believe in that product, I want my guy to tell him, you really need to look into this because this could be important for you. It really helps if you're in it. You don't just lend your voice to it, but that you commit to it. It's like acting on stage, which was my background. Commit to that character, commit to the words, commit to what you're doing. And I feel like you walk out feeling better about the job you did. And I think you succeed more. And I think it has a stronger effect on the listeners. I was once a character, uh, it's called um what's it called, a film, um looking for it up on my wall. Uh the House of Magic, Thunder in the House of Magic. I played a uh, a Bostonian magician who was an, an old retired magician and he entertained children at a at a, uh, at a hospital and he had di- he made magical characters. Whatever. I loved him so much, I would almost be in tears when I was voicing him because all I could tell my I I would picture a room full of children in front of me and that I was being this character for them. And that helped infuse love in his voice. The feedback I've gotten from people like the lady who hired me uses that as part of her classes, the performance as part of her classes to try to tell her students, this is what you have to put into it. And it'll come through the voice, whatever it is. Or if you're psychomantis, I was badass that day, dude. <laughs> for that microphone. You know, that's what I put. I was just badass. Yep. And, you know, you got to go into the character and let him let him take you or, or take you where they need to take you for you to get that to infuse into the voice.
1: I was going to ask on the opposite end of the kid spectrum, when you're a bad guy, you picture <laughs> slaughtering a whole room full of people. In your
2: yeah, yeah, it's bad, but I mean, I did it on camera. I was a badass on camera. And, uh, <laughs> yeah, I mean, we all have lightness and darkness in us. It's just, as they say, it depends which wolf you feed. So in my life, I want to feed the lightness, but we all have that other side we can go to. And as an actor, you have to be able to find it, find that dark side. Just don't feed it. We turn off the microphone <laughs> or away from the camera. But you have to be able to find it for your performances, certainly.
3: So it looks like you've been staying busy with your voice. Good God in heaven, man. I mean, you just decades spanning, but even now it looks just like recently you've still been able to keep busy with your voice works. I mean, do you actively have to search stuff out? Or are you at the point now where you just, they just come across your desk? you are like, okay, I'll do this. Yeah, I'll do this. Yeah, okay.
2: yeah. I operate without an agent for a number of years now. I'm fortunate enough. I don't I mean there was a time when I was working six jobs a week and directing at night. I mean I, I barely slept in the in the late 80s through the 90s into the 2000s because I had a loop group of my own providing voices for TV shows and films. I did all the Hercules and Xena TV shows in the 90s. Nice. Wow. That was my 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 voiceover group did all the voices that weren't the principals. So we were every monster, every villager, everything else. So I've been you know stuff that doesn't show on the IMDb. I've done over a thousand TV shows and film gigs where I was providing voices. So now I'm like. I call it semi-retired, meaning working two or three times a week only. And, it, and yeah, I'm fortunate enough where it generally just crosses my desk where emails come in. Like this morning, there was an email came in and said, "You've been cast in this. If you're interested in doing so and so, you know, let us know about your availability, etc." And I go, "Yeah, great, sounds good. I'm in." So I still sometimes I get cast, sometimes I audition, but I've been fortunate enough where I haven't had to actively go out and beat the bushes they don't cast me as 20-year-olds anymore right. but i'm fortunate enough when they want people 45 50 and up that there's enough people that think of me where it, you know i still i still get the roles doing that stuff usually more uh not so much lead characters anymore though uh what was i just looking at there's one here that was super crooks mm-hmm. uh, i was i mean we were all leads so it was about uh cast of about 10 or 12 main characters and i was playing carmine uh, voicing Carmine, who was an older, retired, semi-retired criminal, who was part of the Super Crooks gang. So uh, all the other actors were, you know, actors in their 20s to 40s, primarily. Though my buddy Bo Billingsley was also in it. He's uh, around my age. But generally, they were younger uh, actors. Everybody's grandpa, whether he's a mean guy or a, a nice guy, or or fathers, or judges, or, you know, I tend to get more authoritative older characters now, but that's fine. I already played Heroes, so that's okay.
3: I'm fascinated by, it. like I said, just doing audio drama and stuff. I'd like to be involved in the voice work or even just to do the editing of stuff like that. It yeah, hearing you, you. Some people even say just rambling on, and it's just like, no, I'm just sitting here listening. It's incredible. You, you know, if
2: you're in it long enough and you build up enough of a resume and it's relationships, you know, I've worked yeah. in enough different studios with enough different directors and uh, actors who sometimes do direct and, you know, so they know me and I know them or it, it's time. It's not like, oh, I, I don't put myself up like, well, I'm the most talented guy out there or whatever else. But but I've been around the block. I know how to do it. I'm reliable. You know, it's and you get known. So it's like any business, you know, if, if you build up a resume and you're reliable and you get known and you show up on time, and you do your job, whether you're <laughs> do hammering nails in a, hammer nails in a board or doing voiceover or whatever, dentist or whatever occupation, be on time, be professional, be polite, be cooperative, help everybody out, make people laugh. Don't bring in your troubles. It's, you know, all those things apply in all businesses and they're no different in ours, in mine. If you That's could it. do
3: one, I mean, I know you're a voice actor and stuff, but if, you know, maybe it, maybe it's just directing, but if you could do one voice or, you know, you could direct one movie or play the one part, what's the one part you would want to do?
2: I would want to be Toshiro Mifune in every Kurosawa movie ever made. Sorry, I'm a... <laughs> nice choice. I mean, damn. Okay. Yeah. Sorry. I'm a, I was growing up, I was a little different than other kids. They're watching, I watched cowboy movies. Mm-hmm. But I got into, samurai, into Japanese films. And I'd go my, myself at 14 to Japanese film festivals. And I fell in love with the Japanese director, Akira Kurosawa. Oh, yeah. Uh, if you've watched the big cowboy films like The Magnificent Seven and many cowboy films that were based on his samurai films. Mm-hmm. And some of his samurai stuff was influenced by Westerns because he watched Western movies. But and the, uh, I'll pronounce it wrong, probably. I pr- apologize, wherever he is. Uh, Toshiro Mifune was uh, the star of many of his films. The the original Clint Eastwood films were based on, and with no name, was based on Toshirō Mufune coming into town as a samurai all by himself seeing warring samurais. So I don't know why that just came to mind. But if I could have been any movie star growing up, I would have wanted to be Toshirō Mufune.
3: That's a hell of a choice. Yeah, that's a good answer. For real, (laughs) that's a good one. I mean, especially considering most we have seen that movie played and replayed, over and over again not just Clint Eastwood but there was the last man standing with Bruce Willis it's the same yes. concept the sword exactly. and Sorcerer with uh David Carradine was the same movie oh yeah
2: I looped on last man standing actually I, I was one of the voices in that film oh because really that, yeah that was based on yeah that was based on a, Star Wars in part was based on a Kurosawa yeah. film there's something princess or something like that I can't remember a kingdom or whatever but it uh he was playing sort of a Heroic, romantic lead, a little bit different than he might usually do. And uh, and there were two comedic characters who were used as the robots. They were okay. sort of based on Laurel and Hardy, the comedic characters, because Kurosawa watched Western films. And then they took them and made them those two characters in the uh, Star Wars franchise. Amazing film. Go watch The Seventh Samurai. Yes. Uh, film. I still yeah. watch it. I have it uh, stored on my computer, a few Kurosawa films. and But every year, or two years, I treat myself and I just watch it. I'm gonna go back to them. I'd walk I a, out a couple of hours and watch the whole thing.
3: Yeah, I hit a ninja fix I, every every year or so. It, it'll hit me where I just start devouring anything I can with ninja movies. But it's I'm, it's just it's got to be specific. Now, I mean, animes are fun, kids, you young you zoomers and whatnot. But no, when I like get into ninja fix, it's old school stuff like Wrath of the Ninja, the Ninja Scroll. Or, uh, mm. I mean, because I just, I ended up getting the special DVDs of it, but, you know, like Revenge of the Ninja, Enter the Ninja, mm. American Ninja. <laughs> so, I know what you mean.
2: <laughs> and they all go, they, you know, a lot of them go back to, it, it's fun to go back to see where did that come from? Like yeah. a lot of anime, you know, you, you can look and say, well, Lord of the Rings, they've taken a lot of uh, mythology from Lord of the, well, where did Lord of the Rings take his mythology from? Mm-hmm. He specialized in it. So you can go back, back and back and it can get very interesting what you can discover. Uh, And you might find a little corner of the world where you go, this is cool. I want to really expand and and look into that. And you might be looking into something that your friends don't know about that you can introduce them to.
1: Right. That's (laughs) like uh, watching Conan when you're a kid and then discovering Robert Howard. And then you accidentally fall into the whole Lovecraft pool there. Mm -hmm. And then then it's over.
3: I mean, yeah, that's kind of sort of, I mean, for me, the gateway was E-Man. But yeah, it was it was He-Man and the fact that my mom let me watch Conan entirely too young. And, and <laughs> there we go. Here I am now.
2: I, I wasn't going to go to any Conan films, but a buddy of mine who was very, he was so eclectic. He had introduced me to a lot of great music when we were just little kids. Uh, I was just listening to rock, and he introduced me to folk and blues and all this stuff, and he always had interesting. and he got into making weapons like swords and knives, and he was really handy, and he said, uh, Doug, I want to go see this Conan film with Schwarzenegger, I said, man, I don't want to see that, yeah, that's do. not interesting to me, he said, oh, you got, because apparently they've really done a great job of the weapons, watch it with me, and you know, if you don't want to watch the story, watch what they're using so I went with him and went, this is pretty entertaining, you know. It moves <laughs> along at a pretty good pace, and you know. Da, 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 da. And it was interesting to see. He was right. It was fun to kind of see what they'd done with all the weapons because they did try to honor uh, some of the – and since I had watched samurai films and even had a book on samurai swords and stuff, I kind of was, you know, a little bit into it too. So, again, things can lead to funny places.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, you didn't yeah.
2: expect them to lead.
1: Out of all your voices over the years, when you look back, is there one that is straining on the voice? One you dread doing that you would never want to do again?
2: Yeah, there's a couple that are. Well, uh, one thing about video games, I don't do much video game work anymore because of all the fighting. You know, the, uh, the that will really put a strain on your voice. And as I get older, I have to say, like, your body muscles weaken. Your vocal muscles will weaken, too, even though I'm working and talking all the time. Doing all those fight things. I cannot. A fight game stuff anymore no interest we had heard frank welker doing a voice uh when we were early on into all this i'm trying to remember the name of the uh the show it'll come to me or you guys may remember and he was doing a monster voice on this show and we all went oh we got to learn how to do that that's money so we learned how to speak like that <laughs> and um i can still do it and i can still retain it for a little while but i don't wanna, long <laughs> i don't want to it's hard. <laughs> yeah. But Frank Walker's like, you know, like unto a god. He can do a lot of different things. What was it called, that thing? The character had a bunch of different arms, and uh, he was a detective.
3: It sounded like Inspector Gadget. It sounded like Dr. Claw.
2: Yeah, yeah. I think it was Dr. Claw from Inspector Gadget. He was doing something like that, I think. <laughs> I think that's where we heard it.
1: Tell us about your uh, cat shelter there. Did you start it yourself, or are you just a volunteer?
2: I had dealt with some health issues, including very severe arthritis and was less physically active than I had been. And as I started to get a little bit improved about uh, 10 years ago, I thought I'd like to do some volunteer work and I'm not directing anymore. And I'm not running a loop group and I'm not budgeting stuff. You know, I'm just acting. It's like a vacation. I've got a little bit of extra time. So uh, I knew I couldn't volunteer to shelter with dogs because with the arthritis, in my knees, they'd pull me right over if I had to go walk with them. And I like cats and I had them. So I found a cat shelter. That's a no-kill cat shelter in LA. Uh, it'll be 10 years ago in August. I started off volunteering. Then I became the volunteer, non-paying volunteer coordinator for a while. We started in somebody's backyard. I sit on the board and I do fundraising events, and I'm you know very involved in a more administrative capacity now. And uh, we have our own building. We save hundreds of cats every year. We are so we we are consulted by different places around. Uh, L.A. because we're a a trap, neuter, return specialist et cetera. So we we become kind of big deals for a small shelter. We have a a staff, a paid staff, et cetera, et cetera. It's pretty cool stuff. And uh, I now specialize in fundraisers. And being an actor, of course, both my fundraisers are actor-based. In the fall, we do one that up until now has been called Voices for the Voiceless, where I get other voice actors to give me swag, signed autographs and all that stuff. And we uh, auctioned it off online with all the profits going to Kitty Bungalow to help right. the animals. And again, we're a registered nonprofit. Nobody's making any money. Our staff's working for like minimum wage, bless their hearts, because they love animals. But, you know, we got to grease the wheels and keep this thing going. And the one that uh, we just started during the pandemic, I'm just going to click on it here, is uh, we're, we've actually been in existence come ne- this month for 12 years. I joined 10 years ago, but it was around. So we're having our 12th animusery show. <laughs> it's an online comedy show. Since I used to do comedy, I know a lot of stand-ups and improvisers and stuff here in LA because I was still doing stage work when I first got to LA doing comedy work. And uh, our headliners uh, were very excited. It's going to be an online Zoom show. If people go to kittybungalow.org backslash celebrate. Kitty Bungalow, K-I-T-T-Y, B-U-N-G-A-L-O-W, kittybungalow.org, backslash celebrate. They'll see the site. Uh, and we've got Katherine Hahn, who's on a ton of TV shows. And we've got Kirsten Bangs Ness, who's also been on a ton of TV shows. They're both great comedians, and they're going to be our headliners. I've got uh, one, two, three, four stand-up comics or is it five stand-up comics? My buddy, Phil Ward, who I used to do stage with, is going to be doing a comedy song. And the great actress, Carrie Walgren and I, uh, my buddy and I wrote a sketch, which has uh, got cats on camera from Kitty Bungalow. And me and Carrie doing their voices, doing all their <laughs> voices. So you'll hear Joe Pesci and a few other people in there. <laughs> so we've got a sketch we're doing. And it's all on April 23rd online. 7 p.m. our time, Pacific uh, uh, time. I'm not sure what time in whoever's watching zone, but you can look it up. Again, uh, people can sign in. We're going to be teaching you how to make some great cocktails so you can get a little sauce for you watching the show. And the show <laughs> will last an hour and a half approximately. You know, we're winging it. I'm doing it live. We have pre-recorded comedy bits that the, the comics have been nice enough to record for us. But Catherine Hahn might just show up at the shelter and be live. I don't know if she'll be interrupting me or what she'll be doing there. We, we don't know yet what she's up to. Uh, but I'll be uh, live at the shelter uh, hosting the show. We're going to go on from there. So it's a little bit, you know, uh, just playing it off as we go. It's and improv. Pre-recorded. Yes, some of it will yeah, be improv. And some of the, some of it will have been pre-recorded. And every penny goes to to Kitty Bungalow. If we can make enough money off the show, we get matching grant money. Last year, we made $25,000. Oh, wow. This. Oh, that's awesome. The kitties, which is fantastic. And again, everything goes to saving. It's not only really saving kitties. I don't want to go on too long. I know we're here about voiceover, but we also do neutering and fixing of the animals. So we're reducing the population humanely. We never euthanize a healthy animal. Never, never, never euthanize a healthy animal. What we do is reduce the population by getting cats off the street and making sure they can't keep having babies. Right. So Even if we can't take them into the shelter and they're, they're tough little Joe Pesci's that are never going to be adoptable, we put them back where we got them in their little cat colony. We have somebody in place to feed them and they can live out their lives and get fed and be healthy. We'll, we'll give them a, a welfare check. They won't have more babies born out in the streets. So there won't be thousands of little kittens dying and starving and being eaten or hit by cars out in the streets. So it's a humane thing that we're doing to help the, the kitties uh, in as gentle and a, a compassionate manner as possible.
3: And that's kittybungalow.org slash celebrate. I'm on it right now. So, yeah, the site's up. Go there. Cool.
2: We're the Kitty Bungalow Charm School for Wayward Cats. <laughs> Too cute. So we're taking into the street cats. So coming and going. Don't even touch me. Don't even think about. It. Rip your face off. And a couple <laughs> of weeks later, they're going. You're a very nice person. Why don't you take me home? <laughs> I would uh, very much appreciate cat food. Only the finest, of course.
1: <laughs> That's a cause we can certainly get behind. I'll make yep. sure to uh, put the link in the episode, and I'll have it out before that goes live.
2: I appreciate it. That'd be great.
1: Doug, just to wind down here, just to wrap up, do you have anything in the pipeline coming out voice-wise, anything
3: on the horizon? Anything you got to promote or just that you're excited about?
2: Everything that I've got right now is is under NDA, Ah. non-disclosure agreement stuff. I will tell you this. Like what? (laughs) Oh! (laughs) Got him. (laughs) Almost. You tricked me. You are too clever for me, young man. (laughs) <laughs> I did not expect such a question. <laughs> um, I will tell you this, that um, in July, I just have to switch over to my email here. Uh, I've been invited to the A-Box Actors Voiceover Experience at the Pasadena Convention Center. And they are actually going to do it in cooperation with Kitty Bungalow. And we're going to have a cat room there. So I'll be at a table signing. Behind me somewhere will be a room with Kitty Bungalow staff and volunteers with adoptable kittens in it. So we get to combine the nice. two, which is really cool. Awesome. That's going to be in July. We don't, I don't have a firm date on it yet. I just got notified about it, asked if I wanted to uh, participate. And we're in the midst of, of talking to the organizers and getting all the sign-offs required with Pasadena for live animals to be at events and everything. You know, there's a certain hoops you have to jump through. So we're we're jumping through the hoops and we're going to get that going. And that'll be in July. And I'm negotiating with a couple couple of other conventions in August here in California, but I'm not signed up yet. But I I hope to be able to participate in them. But I don't have anything uh, in the way of projects that I'm, I'm really heavily promoting right now. There's stuff that's still out there on the air that people can see, certainly. Sounds like you are you got your paws full just with the cat thing going on. So it, It's really a big part. Of, yeah, it's a big part of my focus. I, I'm really into it. It's really it's very cool. I wish you very all the success,
3: cool. and I hope we actually get a lot of people to actually show up. Maybe we'll give you a nice little bump.
2: Yeah, that would be nice. That would be great. Just tell them Doug sent you or say that your site sent me. <laughs> there you, you know, go. I'd, I'd love to be able to get back to you and say, hey, five people showed up. That said that they uh they, they watched this interview.
1: Well, Doug, it's been a pleasure talking to you, man.
2: <laughs> yeah, thank
3: you, man. Look, if you get something come up or whatever, hit us up. We'd, we'd love to chat more. Cool.
2: Send me a link when you uh when you're when you're throwing this up in the air. That'll we'll, be we'll on that
3: Yeah,
1: it'll be in the next couple of weeks and I'll I'll keep you up sure. Cool. All right, you have That's a good, good night,
2: guys. Man. All right, yeah, cool. man. Take
1: care.
0: Thanks. Take care. Welcome to the night. You think you know night demon?